0: Can you hear me now? Oh, I can hear me, definitely. Well, good morning everybody and thank you so much for having me. It's a great privilege and an honor and a joy to celebrate the Sunday service with all of you. Um, As was said, yes, I'm Christian. Chris um, from Germany, 32 years old, studying now one year in Oxford. It's a great opportunity. Uh, I love Great Britain and it's a dream for me to be here for one year. I love the scones especially. (laughs) I I know already that I will miss them uh, back in Germany, so maybe I'll get a a whole suitcase full of them back to Germany. (laughs) Um, Actually I didn't choose the topic for today. I think someone uh, from church chose it, maybe uh, this nice guy over there. Um, Well, thank you very much. Nice nice challenge for me. Is God a delusion? But what about science? Well, you know, Actually, it is a really hard thing to say that God is a delusion. It's actually kind of an offense. It's actually a clinical term. It's a medical word, a medical term. So if you think of a delusion, you may rather think of a joke like this, um, where the psychiatrist visits his new patients in the hospital, and he goes to the first bed and says, Hello, who are you? Nice to meet you. And the patient would go like, Yeah. Hello, I am Napoleon. Nice to meet you. And the psychiatrist would stay calm, try to stay calm and friendly and helpful, and say, okay, nice to meet you. Who told you you're Napoleon? Well, God did. And in the same moment, the person next next bed shouts out, I did not. <laughs> so this is, I think, the thing that comes in mind when we talk about delusion. Is God a delusion? Some years ago, a very famous book appeared, uh, written by an atheist, Richard Dawkins, is called The God Delusion. So a delusion might be something like a strong conviction, like the guy in the hospital, despite strong evidence to the contrary. And we ask today, is God a delusion? And what about science? So what does science say? What does scientists say? Well, at least atheists often claim that science disproved God, therefore, logically, God is a delusion. Or they say, well, science can answer all the questions of life. Science can answer all the questions. But is that true? Imagine you come to your kitchen and you find a cake. You know, I love cakes, so... I took this illustration. You find the cake, beautifully looking, beautifully smelling. And as a scientist, you can now go, take this cake, put it in your laboratory, and try to find out all of the chemical stuff and the uh, ingredients all around there. And after a while, maybe, you'll be able to say the amount of sugar in it, the amount of butter, how many calories, high carb, of course, it needs to be delicious. And maybe you're even able to say, at what temperature it was made, how long it takes take to make it. But you will never, ever get an answer to the question, no matter how hard you try in your laboratory, you will never get an answer to the question, who made the cake? Who made the cake? And why was it made? So in the simple, illustration, you can see there's more to life than science. There is at least philosophy coming along with it. So it is the wrong thing to think that science on the one hand and you have faith on the other hand. It's not a battle between Christianity and science, not at all. You can easily say that because there are both Christian scientists and atheist scientists. It's as simple as that. Imagine, for example, Sir Isaac Newton, one of the founding fathers of modern science. He wrote a book, one of my favorite books, you know, I I studied engineering back in Germany. It's called Principia Mathematica, with all the famous natural laws in there that he found found out. And in the end of the book he writes that he hopes that this book will help people to understand God's orders in a better way, to be able to worship Him in a better way. So he was looking for laws in nature because he knew and assumed and believed there is a lawgiver, a creator. 300 years later, the same chair held by Sir Isaac Newton at the University of Cambridge now belonged to Stephen Hawking, who just recently passed away. And he was an atheist. Doing the completely the same research as Sir Isaac Newton. The same topics, the universe, gravitation. But as an atheist. So it's no contradiction. The real battle is not between science and faith. It is between different worldviews. Atheism and Christianity. And there are also boundaries inside of science, boundaries to science. Imagine a scientist wants to find out a new law of nature concerning fish. So he gets out in a boat, drives out on a sea, throws out his fishing net, collects all the fish, hundreds of them, and tries to figure out everything about them in his laboratory. After some months, he publicly proclaims very proud of his new laws of nature concerning fish. Number one, all fish have scales. Number two, all fish are larger than five inches. Now you might feel, you might sense there's there something wrong with it. Well, this is a famous image um, that shows us that science has boundaries. You know what happened? The guy took a fisher net with a mesh size of five inches. And therefore, all the fishy caught was larger than five inches, of course. So the methods science uses always affect the results. And you've got to keep that in mind. Um, I found a quote from uh, Thomas Souto, he won a Nobel Prize for medicine. Um, and he admits that, and he says, I believe that we as scientists have an insane responsibility to, to try to communicate that we also have to live with a knowing where our borders are. And this image with the fisher net, you get an idea of what these these borders look like. So science cannot disprove God. There is faith involved. The one side believes, has faith that there is no God, and the other side believes, has faith that, yes, there is a God. And even uh, Richard Dawkins, who wrote the book The God Delusion, admits in a debate in 2012 that, yes, I can't be completely sure that there is no God. He admitted that. It's a matter of faith. Bertrand Russell, mathematician, philosopher said, philosophically, I can't tell whether or not there is a God, but I choose to be an atheist. So science disproved God, we often hear that. But what kind of God? Does science disprove? Let us think about that. It often goes like this. Science defines terms. People define terms like God. They take God, define it in their way, and then they disprove it. Famous example. 1,000 years ago, when there was a thunderstorm, people were afraid. They didn't know what happened, what is this all about, how it works, and they start to worship it. They called it God because they had a gap in their explanations. The, the, the God was a God of the gaps of explanations. They called it God. Nowadays, science, thankfully, found out what thunder is all about. So we disprove this kind of God. But this is not the God I believe in. My God is not the God of the gaps, it's the triune God of the Bible, Jesus Christ and he's not disproved by science in that way. John Lennox, professor of uh, mathematics in Oxford, puts it that way, God is not a God of the gaps, but he's the God of the whole show. So if science can't disprove God, how do a lot of people do it? Basically because of two reasons, in two ways. The first is they doubt Jesus' existence. And the second is, they reject God due to moral reasons. So did Jesus exist? So as Christians, if we ask, is God a delusion? We ought to ask, is Jesus Christ a delusion? Because in Christianity, God is defined by Jesus Christ. So, let's come back to the cake. You know I love cake. We found out that science can tell us a lot about the cake. But it will never, ever answer who made it, who is the maker, who is the baker, who is the creator, and why was it made, unless unless the maker shows up unless the Maker shows up and tells us. And this is the heart of my Christian belief. This is the heart of my faith, that God became man. He showed up at eye level. We can get to know Him. And by that way, by showing up, by becoming man, He made Himself, and He made my faith, and He made Christianity hostage to world history. What do I mean by that? Imagine I, I watch a, a witness a burglary and I go to the police and the policeman would ask me, when did it happen, where did it happen? And I go like, well, pfft, two or three weeks ago, somewhere around Oxford. That might be true, but you can never find out. But if I instead say, it happened on the 10th of November in Broad State, Oxford. The policemen can suddenly start searching for the evidence and check the surveillance cameras and uh, look for eyewitnesses. And that's exactly the same what the biblical authors, the New Testament authors did. They give us a certain time and a certain place. They made Christianity hostage to world history. We can check for the evidence. And if sometimes when we believe or have the sense, even as Christians, that our faith is kind of a delusion, it doesn't feel real and we are distracted by doubts and sorrows and maybe sufferings, at least for me, it helps me sometimes to, to focus on these evidence that Jesus really is. He really is. And he showed up. So let me just give you some of the facts, short, and if you're more interested, I can, we can speak to, about this afterwards. Uh, two weeks ago, I, um, I met John Dixon, who is uh, from Australia, and he's a famous historian, and he, his field is about historicity of Jesus and the New Testament writings. And he once made a bet, and he said publicly, if you can find me one professor who says that Jesus Christ did not exist... I will eat a page of my Bible. So this is the the website, uh, the interview with him. And it was four years ago, and to the present day, his Bible is still complete. And I just want to give you four facts, just to keep in mind what historians, both atheist and Christian historians, agree on concerning life, and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the heart, the core of my belief. So first of all, they agree on an empty tomb. The grave of Jesus Jesus was definitely empty. You ought to explain that. They agree on that. The second is one of the funniest facts, actually. Um, Historians find it remarkable that the first eyewitnesses to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened to be Women, we live in better days now, but back then if someone made up the Gospels, it would be crazy to write that the first eyewitnesses were women. But all of the four Gospels say that. If I make up a Gospel, I would say, okay, the first person was Peter or John, some of the very famous, important Christians. No, women and historians find that remarkable. The third is the spread of Christianity. A very quick spread of Christianity, despite the hostile climate. Immediately, the Christians got persecuted. Many of them died. But despite that, Christianity spread very, very fast. And this is unique in world history. And the last point would be the early drafting time of the Gospel accounts, and especially the epistles. Very short after the actual events happened. Speaking of eyewitnesses, of hundreds of people who witnessed Jesus Christ, Jesus is not a delusion. He made himself hostage to world history. He came, he is real, he wanted to have contact with us. He showed up. But, for example, um, atheist writers like Dawkins, they doubt in their books the existence of Jesus. And again, he publicly admitted that he is wrong about that in a public debate. But he never changed the chapter in his book in the later editions. He didn't change the chapter. So another reason would be, why do people reject Jesus, reject God, claim that God is a delusion? want to get rid of him is because of moral reasons. Many people say, many people publicly claim, I don't want to believe in a God who slaughters his own son on a cross. Therefore, your faith, your God, is a delusion. And to be honest, I can understand that on a first glance. I can understand that but what can we respond if you take a closer look at what Jesus himself said we can respond Jesus himself had a different view on that he said no one takes my life from me but I lay down it I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again on another occasion he said I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He did it deliberately. No one forced him to do so. But nevertheless, people ridicule this account. They say it's immoral, that kind of sacrifice. But let me ask you this is this immoral? Is sacrifice immoral? Is surrender your life for others? Is it immoral? Today we celebrate Remembrance Day and we honour those who gave their lives and risked their lives. Is that immoral? Is it ridiculous what they did? Let me give you an example. On September 29, 2006, US Navy SEAL Michael Monsour was deployed on the roof of a building as a guard post in the contested Ramadi, Iraq, along with three teammates and eight Iraqi soldiers when a firefight with Iraqi terrorists developed. During the battle, an insurgent threw a fragmentation grenade at the roof. Although Mansour was the only who could have escaped from the roof because of his location, he threw himself on the grenade instead to protect his comrades. He died about 30 minutes later. His three teammates and the Iraqi soldiers survived. One of the survivors later described this Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you cannot take my brothers. I will go in their stead. At his funeral, almost every Navy seal from the US West Coast showed up and they would line up at his coffin and the they would take their their Navy SEAL pin, which is one of the most precious pins you can earn in, in the world's militaries, and they would line up and each of them would stick their pin into the coffin, one after another. And this procedure went on for 30 minutes. Is sacrifice ridiculous? Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. If atheism is right and our God of faith is a delusion, then only the things we can observe scientifically are real. But isn't it true that our life is particularly worth living because there are things like love, Sacrifice, hope, joy, faithfulness, friendship, or beauty. All of these are things that cannot be explained purely materialistically. But they are things that point us beyond this visible world, beyond our human horizon, beyond our scientific horizon, straight to God. But there is also another sense in us, a sense of guilt and shame, each of us. No one of us is excluded from that. Where does that come from? Well, God is not a delusion. And if there is a God, then this longing in us for joy, for hope, for love, makes total sense. And also does our sense of guilt and shame. Because deep inside we know we don't live up to the standards of this love. Each of us rejected God. But nevertheless, we all have to face him sooner or later. Atheist or Christian. Jesus said a lot of fascinating things. But he also said that he will die and raise again. How do we make sense of that? His resurrection is proof that all he said has to be taken seriously and he also said that we are enemies of God and we desperately need reconciliation we have messed up we don't live the life we're created to live for we're not right with God We need His sacrifice, we need His forgiveness, we need His love. All of us. We're in a desperate need for this deep comfort, this deep joy, this deep love that only His sacrifice can give. This is not a delusion, this is our heart, this is the heart of our identity. And we need this life, we need Him. Jesus gives his life as a sacrifice. And what is our response? These guys at the funeral, they they had a response. They tried from now on to honor this sacrifice with their lives. What do you do? do? What do we do when we hear about Jesus' sacrifice? that brings us so much more than just a nice image, than just a nice story. Well, let us in the end again have a a time of silence. And let us now honor Jesus' sacrifice in our hearts. And let me suggest to you what you could pray in that time. So maybe today you have maybe experienced... A new perspective from God, something new, and maybe um, you realize that you actually believe in this for the first time, and you notice that you need this sacrifice, you need this forgiveness, you need this deep love and comfort. Then I just I suggest to you simply speak to God, tell Him this, just say, Thank you, sorry, please, Jesus. Thank you for speaking to me today. I'm sorry I ignored you. Please help me to get to know you better and from now on live a life in your joy and your forgiveness. Maybe you are a Christian, as I am, but you sometimes, as I do, you doubt and you have questions. And you struggle with things. Then you can pray, Jesus, Help me to get these questions answered. Just tell him. And take your time afterwards. Speak to someone about it. Ask your questions. Utter your doubts. Why not here on today, right after the service? So let's have a moment of silence prayer. And let's bow our heads in prayer. And I'll say a final prayer at the end. Jesus, I thank you that you are the truth and the way and the life. Thank you that you are not a delusion, that you have become man to come near us. Thank you for hearing all our prayers now. We ask that you come close to each one of us and help us to get to know you better and better. Please bless our thinking about you. We also pray especially for those who consciously reject you. Please be close to them and speak to them with your love and truth. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.